BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. She's been killed by the FBI, the CIA, the communists, her psychiatrist. And they've all killed her and they all killed her different ways. Everybody had an agenda. Welcome to The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. I'm your host for this podcast, Jackie Moran. In previous episodes, we have seen how the same raw magnetism that made Marilyn the most famous movie star in the world also saw her embroiled in a series of messy relationships with America's most powerful and dangerous men. It was a knockout combination of beauty, brains, and wit. And then she was sexual. Her movements, her shyness all contributed to an overwhelming sensuality that really attracted most men. She could get any man she wanted eventually. But did those relationships lead to her death? Was Marilyn in way over her head? In this episode, we are going to explore some of the conspiracy theories that claim Marilyn did not, as the official coroner's report says, commit suicide, but rather was murdered. For many, too much about the manner of Marilyn's death simply doesn't add up. The confusion around the details of her apparent suicide was further compounded by an investigation that at best looked inept and at worst appeared suspiciously like a deliberate cover-up. There is just so much, there's more evidence proving she was murdered than proving she committed suicide. I look at the murder part of this, and I believe there was a police cover-up, there was a lot of police corruption. If you take it all and you put it step by step by step, you have a murder. Some of the key witnesses, including both Peter Lawford and Eunice Murray, Marilyn's housekeeper, repeatedly changed their original stories, which were complete distortions to begin with. Other witnesses, separately or together, based on different motives and agendas, colluded in a cover-up. Most of the people who were there that night and who were close to her were never interviewed. So we have the official record has a very imprecise version of her death. It's all this evidence to prove that it was a setup. They were in there. They knew what was going on. So it turns into a vast conundrum. We also know that the police records that were kept disappeared. There aren't any records on Maryland. If you go to the district attorney's office, they don't exist. Someone got rid of them. Maryland's death alludes to a much bigger political issue in America. So who would dare kill the most famous woman in America? And why? We have already seen how if Marilyn's love affairs with first JFK and then Bobby Kennedy had become public, it would have caused a scandal that could bring down both president and attorney general. 
they thought they'd destroy their career with, and they would. You know, I mean, two Catholic boys screwing Marilyn Monroe, come on. We also learned how her relationship with mafia boss Sam Giancana was a source of alarm to the security services worried she may be spilling sensitive information to the mob. Marilyn said that when she and Jack Kennedy were together, he would whisper things to her that were classified state secrets. And how the link between the president and the mob was her lover, Frank Sinatra, and his Rat Pack buddy, Peter Lawford, brother-in-law to Jack and Bobby Kennedy. These were certainly powerful enemies to make. I don't believe that she committed suicide. I don't believe it. I believe that there was foul play involved. Now, who was instrumental in the foul play? That's a good question. There's all different scenarios. There's all different claims that people make. And it's very confusing because all the people are dead. There were a lot of people angry with her, including the Kennedys, the FBI, CIA was pretty mad. And some of her friends were angry with her. They were all angry because of the involvement with the Kennedys and the fact that she knew national secrets. She made them feel she was going to reveal them. Marilyn Monroe had become such a threat to the Kennedys that they had to get rid of her. She was also such a threat that the FBI wanted her out of the way, or at least shut up. And the CIA wanted her out of the way. And yet, despite all the conjecture, there remain more questions than answers. And despite the theories that Marilyn was silenced by the CIA, whacked by the mafia, killed by the Kennedys, the case for murder is still missing one vital thing, the smoking gun. Forensic pathologist Cyril Wecht. As far as I know, nobody specifically found what we would call hard forensic scientific evidence or investigative evidence that would have placed somebody there at the scene at that time. But there are questions about who came and who went. It was never made clear, as far as I recall, by the housekeeper in that regard. She had seen Marilyn earlier in the evening, and then she found her hours later. The only person we know was definitely there when Marilyn died, sometime on the night of August 4th, 1962, was her housekeeper Eunice Murray. She has provided few clues about her former employer's death in the decades since, except once, 21 years after that fateful night, when she thought the interviewer's microphone had been turned off. Here's private detective Becky Altringer. Eunice caused this sensation. It was in 1985. She was being interviewed by Anthony Summers on the BBC channel. That's when she left and thought that the mics were off. And she said, why at my age do I still have to cover this thing up? That's what she said. Eunice Murray would seem to be key to finding out the truth about Marilyn's death. But unfortunately, she passed away in 1994. Instead, we have to piece together as much as we can from what facts we do know. Here's Lois Banner. She was at home alone with her housekeeper. And at that point, things get murky. The basis for 
the um, doubt that remains to this day, in my mind, and I believe that many others, begins from the very initial finding of Marilyn Monroe, apparently dead by her live-in housekeeper. The housekeeper, instead of calling the police or the medical examiner, she called uh, one of Marilyn Monroe's uh, doctors. He came, and nobody knows exactly what he did, and it took some time. He then contacted another one of her doctors, one of whom was a psychiatrist and one was a kind of an internist or so on. From what I gathered, a great many people came to her house that night trying to calm her down and or do something about the drug overdose that she'd taken. She often took a lot of drugs. It wasn't for a couple of hours or more before they called the police. The police came, the detectives, and it was uh, another few hours before they contacted the medical examiner. So her psychiatrist was there, her agent was there, a lot of other people were there. They came there because the housekeeper had called them and they tried to revive her and then she died and they spent most of the night figuring out how to create a scenario where no one had been there and Marilyn had been there alone and she'd taken overdose of drugs. By the time the medical examiner got there, the indices that we used to try to determine within a reasonable range of the time of death, namely rigor mortis, body stiffening, levor mortis, the gravitational settling of blood in the dependent parts of the body, relating, of course, to how you, what position you're in when you die, and algor mortis, body temperature, these had lost their validity. They're not precise scientific criteria. And after a passage then uh, six, seven, eight hours or so on, they're no longer valid uh, in terms of any kind of relatively close temporal frame. That Marilyn Monroe died from a drug overdose is accepted by everybody. Speculation around her death centers on exactly who administered those drugs and how they were taken and when. For Hollywood historian and author Bill Burns, there's a strong case for the involvement of the American Secret Services. Once Marilyn Monroe revealed to Bobby Kennedy that she knew the CIA was out to kill Fidel Castro and had a secret plan, immediately that alerted the CIA that some of their deepest secrets were being revealed. That's why she had to go. They were worried that Marilyn, who had turned communist, was going to reveal state secrets. This was an anti-communist era, and she had come close to joining the Communist Party. Bill believes that killing Marilyn was a last resort, but ultimately, in their eyes at least, a necessary one. And they worked with Sinatra's Rat Pack to make it happen. Marilyn Monroe was such a threat, they knew that they had to either shut her up get her out of town or get rid of her. Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin took Marilyn up to Lake Tahoe to get her out of town. That didn't work. They tried to get her into a movie with Dean Martin. That didn't work. Marilyn never showed up on set. So this is a woman who was really at the end of her cycle. Now she's blabbing state secrets. The FBI and the CIA had to shut her up. Bill's theory is that the CIA made use of a man called Max Jacobson, who was also known as Dr. Feelgood. 
He was a controversial physician, infamous for dispensing so-called miracle medications made up largely of amphetamines, and whose client list was rumored to include both Marilyn and President Kennedy. They knew they could rely on Max Jacobson's drugs as a suicidal effect on Marilyn because Marilyn was taking such heavy doses of Nambutal, and she was a heavy drinker. She was an alcoholic. They knew that that was a lethal combination. So all they had to do was make sure that Marilyn got a heavy dose of methamphetamines, which Jacobson and Peter Lawford made sure she got. Then they knew that she would take a heavy dose of Nambutal, which Peter Lawford made sure she got. And then they left her alone to slip into a coma. They never roused her, and she died before the morning. It's one theory. For others, however, it was the mafia who orchestrated Marilyn's death. The reason being that she had either outlived her usefulness as a means of exerting influence over the president and attorney general, or had become worth more dead than alive. Head of the Chicago Mafia was Sam Giancana, secret business partner of Frank Sinatra. Sam Giancana came into her orbit through Frank Sinatra, who, I'm not going to say he was friends with those people, but he kept company with those kinds of people. Giancana was not particularly interested in any of Marilyn's run-of-the-mill sexual peccadilloes, but he was passionately interested in anything that might embarrass or incriminate President John F. Kennedy and Kennedy's brother, Robert, the Attorney General of the United States. One of the reasons why Sam Giancana would have probably wanted to kill us because of what Bobby Kennedy knew about his probe into their dealings. And maybe she wrote this down in her diary also. RFK had already launched a major investigation into organized crime in America, and Giancano, as head of the Chicago Crime Syndicate, was one of his primary targets. It may have been that after using Marilyn to try and blackmail the president, the mob was now going to use her to do the Kennedys a favor in a deadly game of you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's not far-fetched to assume that Giancana might have been trying to, without any official approval, without any official responses from the Kennedys, have indeed been trying to curry favors, get something on the Kennedys so that they might perhaps lessen the pressure on him personally. Danforth Prince is publisher of Marilyn at Rainbow's End, Sex, Lies, Murder, and the Great Cover-Up. He believes Marilyn was killed by a hit squad led by the mafia gunman Johnny Roselli. Here, he talks us through how Giancana might have ordered the hit and how it was carried out. On the evening of August 4th, 1962, the arrival of Johnny Roselli on Marilyn's doorstep was not an immediate cause for alarm. He was known to have visited her on several previous occasions, even when she lived at other addresses. He often bragged to his henchmen, I've got to pop in at Marilyn's to pop her one. Roselli and Marilyn idly chatted for no more than five minutes before two of the hitmen came into the room. Slipping behind Marilyn, one of these men removed a chloroform-soaked washcloth from his bag. The cloth was forced over her nose and mouth. Her struggle was useless. Danforth's hypothesis is based around the investigations of author Darwin Porter, who spent 20 years probing Marilyn's death and who also befriended private detective Fred Otash, whom Giancana had ordered to wiretap Marilyn's home. 
Giancana's henchmen had prepared a solution of liquid nembutal, chloral hydrate, and watered. They'd carried it inside with them in a thermos bottle. All struggle gone from her, Marilyn was stripped and her nude body was placed on the bed. A bath towel was placed under her buttocks. A bulb syringe was filled from the contents of the thermos bottle. The poisonous liquid was then released into her colon. She was then given a second dose of the deadly solution. Marilyn's post-mortem examination may have been flawed, with vital evidence going missing and a bizarre ruling of probable suicide, which many saw as an implicit admission that it was not suicide at all. But Dr. Noguchi's examination had made one thing clear. There was no sign of any injection. If Marilyn didn't swallow the drugs that killed her, she doesn't seem to have injected them either. Given that, Danforth's theory is that she was administered a fatal enema by her killers before the scene was staged to look like suicide. Another hitman had gone into her bedroom and emptied the contents of her medicine bottles, throwing the pills themselves into his bag, deliberately leaving their empty containers behind. Apparently, the mob wanted it to appear that she'd swallowed all of the capsules. The entire assault had taken less than 30 minutes, or so it seemed. Perhaps hearing a noise, the men rushed out so fast they even left the door to the guest cottage ajar and a lamp turned on. Not everyone believes Giancana would want to silence their most valuable anti-Kennedy asset, however. Here's Godfather actor Gianni Russo, who before finding fame in the movies worked for gangster Frank Costello. There was a theory the mob killed her, that the mob loved her and used her. They would never kill her. And if she went public, they got done what they wanted done because they wanted to destroy the Kennedys. They already had Lyndon Bain Johnson lined up for presidency. What followed in the wake of Marilyn's death has morphed into a web of myths, lies, and mendacities more contradictory than any other murder in the history of Hollywood. If the mafia theory seems a little far-fetched, these myths, lies, and mendacities have thrown up a raft of seriously out-there conspiracies to kill Marilyn. Author The Fabulous Gabriel, whose research for his book Marilyn Monroe, The Lost Diary, saw him explore many of these alternative takes on history. He outlines one of the wilder ideas that some still believe plausible. 20th Century Fox was filming Cleopatra at the time. They were way over budget. They were like $2 million over budget. And at the same time, they were filming Something's Gotta Get with Marilyn Monroe. 20th Century Fox could not film both films at the same time they were going broke. Marilyn Monroe used to show up late and be hard to work with, but they really capitalized on it to give them an excuse to shutting down the movie because really they didn't have the money. Now, they're finishing Cleopatra. If Marilyn Monroe had a $3 million insurance policy on her, wouldn't it be beneficial to have Marilyn Monroe out of the way? Then they wouldn't be in trouble anymore. So was Marilyn killed by her own studio for the insurance money? It would be a radical solution to their cash flow problems, to say the least. They couldn't film the two movies together, Something's Gotta Give. At the same time, and Cleopatra, they had to finish one movie. They had a $3 million insurance policy that they could have cashed in on. 
In the end, serious investigators have had to focus on the age-old, tried-and-tested first question asked by homicide detectives investigating any suspicious death. Who had the means, motive, and opportunity to kill Marilyn Monroe? Private detective Becky Altringer's investigations led her to the three figures everyone agrees saw Marilyn on her last day alive. Housekeeper Eunice Murray, psychiatrist Dr. Ralph Greenson, and publicist Patricia Newcomb. When I first started investigating this, I thought Pat Newcomb was Marilyn's friend. And I thought, what kind of friend would defend all of this if she knew the truth? We've already heard about Eunice Murray's slip of the tongue to the BBC in 1985. And when Becky tracked down Pat Newcomb, now 89, Marilyn's former publicist also made a startling statement. Well, we were talking about Marilyn and about her career in the entertainment industry and about who her clients were. We were talking, I said to her, do you think Robert Kennedy really killed Marilyn? And her answer was, I hope not. It wasn't no, it wasn't yes, it was just I hope not. She was very sincere when she said it and it made me wonder if she knew Marilyn was murdered but she did not believe Robert Kennedy did it or she just didn't want to believe that. It was just an odd answer. Becky's research uncovered another faux pas, this time by Dr. Greenson when he was asked how he thought his most famous patient really died. He said, why don't you ask Bobby Kennedy? Actually, his exact statement was, I can't tell the whole story. Listen, talk to Bobby Kennedy. I mean, why would these people make these statements? I think they just got sick of hiding this secret. And I remember when I was a kid sitting in the front row at the movies on Saturday afternoon, And I would never come out of the movie. They'd have to come and get me, you know, I'd sit in the front row. And I think how wonderful it would be to be an actress and so forth. Next time on The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. Apparently she called the White House where an operator must have told her that JFK was in Hyannisport. Do the process of elimination yourself. Who had something to gain? And then Otash remembered her saying something to the effect of, tell the president that Khrushchev called she was about to launch a nuclear attack on Washington. Too bad he's out of town. Bobby Kennedy, only Bobby Kennedy. And he did it. The Killing of Marilyn Monroe is hosted by me, Jackie Moran. Executive produced by Dylan Howard and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavor Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson, and Andy Tillett. The series is produced by Carrie Budge and written by Dominic Utten, reporting by Doug Montero. The series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz and Sam Ada, scoring by Benstown. There is so much more to this story, and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to The Killing of Marilyn Monroe wherever you get podcasts.